Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. This is episode 75. We are talking poor back pain advice. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Okay, episode 75. Now this is an excerpt from a podcast that Rob and myself did with The Better Doctor Project. Now The Better Doctor Project is run by Rebecca Deo, a chiropractor over in the States. It's a movement trying to upregulate and improve the communication and the treatment given to patients on a daily basis. So this is a uh, sort of a movement by practitioners for practitioners, but we thought it would be fantastic for you guys to hear the conversations that are going on behind the scenes. Now, me and Rob could talk about this for absolutely hours and it's something which resonates with so much of what we said on the podcast here before. But I do think it's quite a cool conversation to listen to see what's happening and how practitioners are trying to better themselves to give you the best care possible. I think it's a great episode. You should enjoy it too. This is for anyone with back pain or who is thinking about going to see a practitioner, chiropractor, physio, osteo, consultant, doesn't matter who, knowing what they're striving for behind the scenes or what they should be striving for behind the scenes is sometimes a fantastic tool to help you get the best out of your consultation. As always, guys, you can head over to thebackpainpodcast.com to check us out and to check out our fantastic provider map. Our provider map is a referral system where we have personally vetted and <coughs> checked out um, practitioners over the UK who are able to give you quality care. That's chiropractors, physiotherapists, and osteopaths. We've got a few consultants creeping in there as well. We're really happy to have them on board. Check us out if you're looking for someone in your area. Do keep keep your uh, do keep your questions, comments, and everything else flowing through the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do try and answer all these messages as quickly as possible. And if it's a really good question, guys, it may even get turned into a podcast. How about that? All right. Well, look, without any further ado, episode seventy-five: Poor back pain advice. Let's do it. Hello, everybody. We are here today with Drs. Dave Elliott and Rob Bevan, and we're going to be chatting today about one of my favorite topics, patient misinformation and how they can be misguided by providers. And this is really the topic of their entire podcast, which is called the Back Pain Podcast. I absolutely love it because this podcast is different than all of the other ones. They're actually taking information and presenting it for patients. Um, So patients with chronic back pain, acute back pain, you have it. They're tuning in and learning the truth, evidence-based information to help them. So guys, you're doing an incredible job. Thank you so much for joining us today on Better Doctor Project. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So before we dive into this topic about patient misinformation and being misguided, um, tell us a little bit more about your backgrounds, the podcast itself, and then what each of you do in the UK. So my name is Rob Bevan. Um, I'm the co-host with Dave of the Back Pain Podcast. I'm a chiropractor um, myself. I run a multidisciplinary clinic in in the southwest of England, a little town called Sirencester, and we have chiropractors physios or physical therapists as you call them osteopaths um some radiologists massage therapists sports therapists lots of different people all kind of working um working under under one roof all together 
Well, hi there. My name's Dave Elliott. I'm a clinic owner and runner as well. Also a chiropractor, also multidisciplinary um, uh, movement, personal trainers, Pilates, uh, massage therapists and chiropractors and physio or physical therapists, depending what side of the pond you are. Me and Rob are just out there living the life, fighting the good fight, guys, trying to get in the right <laughs> corner. I love it. And the world needs more of you guys because you and I could talk for days about the world of musculoskeletal health and the current state that we're in. Um, needless to say, patients being misguided, our field must be the most popular field for that. I mean, left and right, people are being fed information from every direction. And I feel bad personally because it's not the patient's job to know what is correct. It's not their job to literally know every single detail, read the literature themselves. I mean, it's just preposterous. And so to sit back and hear what, uh, what some patients are being told about their condition is just painful to hear sometimes. So before we dive in, I, I wanted to share an example as to why I really wanted to talk about this. Um, last year, right before COVID, I had a new patient come in. Uh, probably in her 40s. Um, and she had been seeing a chiropractor for a year already. And whenever I see that on somebody's paperwork, I almost get a little bit more curious because that means they're switching to me, right? Um, so I sat her down and we start chatting. It turns out she's been having this neck issue for about a year and a half, two years. And when we got to talking, she was literally told by this other chiropractor that she needed to be seen once or twice a week for the rest of her entire life. On top of that, her number one hobby, reading books, forget about it. He said, never do it again. That's what's causing your neck pain. Wow. Talk about a lot to unpile, right? Wow, so that's unbelievable. from the start, yeah, when you hear that from a new patient or, you know, even an existing patient, you have to think, you know, take a step back. How am I going to approach this? Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think right now in the world of musculoskeletal health? What is the number one most painful and dangerous misleading piece of information our patients are getting? So I think the, again, I could probably think of a hundred and we've probably unpacked a lot of these on the, uh, you know, on various episodes of the podcast. I think the, my, the most misleading one, I wouldn't necessarily say damaging, but the most misleading one is probably that pain equals damage. And it's kind of this whole myth that because you have pain, it means that there's something necessarily wrong or you have pain because there's a reason for it. And I think this has kind of stemmed, uh, you know, where it's exactly stemmed from, no one really knows. But I think, you know, we've spoken about this before as well, is that we live in a society where it's so easy to try and fix pain. You know, everything's about fixing pain now, get rid of it, take a painkiller. We're not used to living with pain. So when we have pain and it's not going away because of a painkiller or, you know, that instant cure that we're looking for, people think that there's something wrong. And you know, this has kind of led us down this garden path of if I have pain, there's definitely a problem. And the more pain I have, actually, the more damage I'm, is being caused. And there must be something more seriously wrong. And then that leads people to not moving, stop moving, stop doing what they want to do. And we know now that that just isn't the case. You know, pain does not equal damage. You know, pain is a threat. It's a warning sign of something. You can have immense pain with no damage. You can have immense damage, you know, immense trauma, car accidents, you know, gunshot wounds and no pain at all, you know, all sorts of problems. And the biggest example we give or I've spoken about is something like a migraine, for example. You know, people describe a migraine as the most painful experience that they've almost had in their life. You know, people just, the worst pain you can almost imagine a migraine can be, but you have no pain before, no pain even up to a minute after it's gone, no long lasting damage and no trauma. 
And people are aware of the fact you can have pain without any damage. And that's a really common example. Um, other examples are things like phantom limb pain, um, again, which people are quite aware of. Again, pain, but no damage. You can also have damage without pain. As I said, you can rupture a blood vessel in your eye and have no pain at all. And that looks, you know, that's tissue damage, that's tissue trauma, and no pain at all. So there are lots of these examples. And when you get that kind of light bulb moment in patients, they kind of realize and go, oh yeah, you, you can have, and it doesn't necessarily mean it. And sometimes that's just enough to, you know, help patients understand that uh, it's not always a, not the pain doesn't always mean there's a big problem. I like that you said that because I'm always looking for ways to talk to patients about this. And I've never once thought to give such simple examples like that, but it's so true. There are, there are examples out there from both, you know, ends of the spectrum there. I love that. Yeah, brain freeze um, is the other one. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah. a great that's a one. one. Yeah, that's a, one. that's a really good one. I'm already going to steal that with my patients. Sorry, Dave, you about to use that one? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, uh, <laughs> that is my favorite as an ice cream freak. Um, look, my favorite is—I say my favorite, my either my favorite or my worst—is um, that we are fragile. Look, we're weak mm -hmm. as human beings. That poor lady that you had in um, that got told that she couldn't read a book. I mean, what if there was a long menu in front of her? Um, uh, you know, where does it stop? So to be told mm -hmm. that you can't do something i mean maybe you can't be a top world 100 sprinter or you can't be a power lifter um but damn <laughs> you can lift weights you can read a book you can you can ride a horse um i think the idea that we are fragile that we will break if we continue with an activity is just moronic it's not how the body works at all we respond to stress we respond to um adverse and increasing micro trauma therefore we should train we should undo our ways out of pain instead of avoiding 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 and becoming weaker both mentally and physically i've never got it personally in all other areas of life we try to grow to um uh, to push against resistance and to adapt and yet when it comes to pain we think ah i won't do that anymore um, and so we tend to shy away from said activity or said movement. What ends up happening is, of course, it's strange or painful to do that activity or movement because we've not bloody done it in four months' time. Rob has a great example here. When we talk about backs, you know, if you've got a, a restricted facet or a, a hot disc, we get told not to bend and not to move. And then when you go to pick your shopping up in six months' time, of course, it's going to feel strange to bend. If you did the same with your elbow, you've got a hurty elbow, so don't bend it for six months, and then you went to move it later on, of course, you'd think, oh, I've not moved it in six months. My elbow's, of course, going to hurt. Yet, for some reason, right. we don't allocate that to the back in the same way. It's weird. Hmm. The only way I can get patients to understand that concept is to think about going to the gym. If I hmm. tell them, okay, when's the last time you've been to the gym? And they're like, oh, man, it's been like, a year. Well, what do you think would happen if you went to the gym tomorrow and did a full body workout, like full body weights, cardio, everything? How do you think you're going to feel for two days? And then they're like, oh, well, yeah, of course, that's not going to feel the greatest, but yeah. it's going to be that, you know, gym soreness. And then they, it kind of clicks with them, you know, like you've mm. had XYZ issue for six months, one year, you know, obviously when you try to do something again, it's probably not going to work out for you. That yeah. doesn't mean it's a lost cause. What happens if you go to the gym regularly for a little while? It gets a little easier, right? <laughs> so that's been the most effective way I've gotten that point across. But you're you're right. I think society has really led us to have those preconceived notions and therefore technically in, in, in implies that pain is not normal when in reality it is. doesn't matter how old you are or what you're doing with life, but there's always something we can do better, which I love. Um, yeah. I, I do think that these misconceptions 
occur outside of the musculoskeletal field, I think we just have to deal with it so much more. Um, have you seen or heard of any ideas outside of MSK where there might be some misconceptions floating around that maybe frustrate other providers too? I think the, the, the one which, again, we're talking a little bit about, about this off air, one of my ones which came to light when you mentioned that was um, exercising during pregnancy. You know, it was a big a big thing kind of not even 15 20 years ago oh you're pregnant you need to be careful you stop what you're doing go yes. and rest for three months mm. and actually we know that now the more active people are during pregnancy the more mobile people are during pregnancy the more exercise they do carrying on with their their normal exercise regime the much better pregnancies they then have as a as, as a result of it so it is very yes. safe to exercise during pregnancy obviously if you know this is medical advice please check your check with your, your <laughs> practitioner before a starting exercise program however you know the evidence says it's very safe to continue to exercise during your pregnancy and you know that's a really good example of something which if you ask people on the street most people would probably say oh be a bit careful you know just just be careful yes. or maybe stop doing that oh you need to rest you're pregnant go, go and lie down for three months <laughs> whereas that actually, is such a good example yeah so that's probably one of the one of the ones which which jumps out when you say that yeah I'm, I'm going to go straight up with actually pregnancy fits into this as well. Um, but old age saying, Oh, well it's no, in fact, let's, let's go pregnancy. Yeah. So it's normal to get pain in pregnancy. Um, well actually it's not normal. It's common, but it's not normal. It's not, it's mm -hmm. not, a, a, um, a, an absolute, you don't have to get pain in pregnancy. It's very common because of the lifestyle that we lead and the, um, uh, the things that we do during pregnancy and the huge musculoskeletal shift um, uh, and hormonal shift that goes on during pregnancy through all stages. Mm -hmm. But it's not a requisite. You know, it doesn't have, you don't have to have pain um, in your, uh, like talking about back pain, by the way, um, uh, during pregnancy, it's common but it's not normal. It shouldn't just be poo-pooed. It's still mechanical pain at the end of the day. It should be treated like any other pain. But just to say, oh, well, you're pregnant. It's like saying, oh, well, you have a back. So, <laughs> yes. like, it, it's so true. Linked. When, we, when we remove the fact that you're pregnant and there are changes going on, what kind of changes, by the way? Mechanical changes. So I've never really understood the kind of dismissal. Um, and it happens in old age as well. Oh, well, you're old, you, you'll get pain. We don't, also, you'll get back pain because you're old. You don't have to have back pain because you're old. Mm -hmm. Is it very common? Yes. Is that because it's not dealt with and we've proliferated this idea that it's normal for years and years? Yes. Is the GP saying it just so you leave them alone for the day? Yes. Um, I don't think it's a benefit to the patient. I think it's a, a dust off. It's a, a denial of um, um, uh, responsibility from healthcare providers sometimes. 100%. Dave, you bring up a good point. What do you think is the motive? I mean, obviously that's one of the motives. Maybe the provider doesn't want to deal with it. Maybe that's something they've just kind of been instructed to say over the years, but what are some other motives for why a provider might feed this information to a patient? Are there any other reasons why that might happen? I would say, I think almost laziness. Uh, now that sounds quite malicious when I say laziness. So perhaps bad habit or, or you know, a habitual yeah. um, uh, reason just to say, oh, well, it's normal. Or um, my favorite is, you know, the uh, if we take it back to chiropractors, a spine goes out of place or, you know, your hips go out of place talking about um, uh, musculoskeletal practitioners. Now we know that hips don't go out of place. I think that if you talk to any therapist who says the words, your hips out of place, I can almost guarantee if you said, yeah, but is it? They'd go, well, no, actually, it's more that there's a, a tensioning of the muscles around this area of the body group. You've got guarding in this um, uh, muscle and the joint capsules tightened up due to that pain reaction. 
so it feels as if it's come out of place but it hasn't actually come out of place don't worry i think if you pressed them they don't they understand you know then if you've got your degree you hopefully understand that your hips don't literally um dislocate, dislocate <laughs> every every time you lifted a box or had a sneeze gosh um, i hope not <laughs> that, that were crikey i know right um and so i think if you pushed people then all push practitioners, they'd probably say, well, actually, yeah, okay, it doesn't go out of place. But we say that because it's easy and you can understand it. But mm. what they're doing is they're, they're using that laziness or like, well, everyone else says it, so I might as well say it because right. I can. I think it's just ease. It, and the problem is what they're doing is they're making it easy for themselves today, but harder for the patient in the future, I think. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, and I I worry too when I when I look around at people in multiple professions based on how many years they've been in practice or maybe what kinds of things they're interested in. You know, if if you're not actively engaging with the research or maybe you're choosing certain forms of continuing education and you're not immersing yourself in environments where you will be up to date with information, you're hurting yourself and your patients. You know, there, there are people, believe it or not, and I'm personally speaking from the chiropractic profession, of course, but I do have colleagues who choose to go to get CE credits from things that don't even make sense. You know, conferences that have nothing to do with what they do on a daily basis because it's easier or because of access, or maybe mm-hmm. they didn't plan ahead. Um, some provide, you know, some providers aren't involved with their state associations, national associations who can keep them up to date with um, current information or, you know, maybe their colleagues that they engage with also don't care. I mean, it's like a, it's like a horrible cycle of mm-hmm. <laughs> misinformation, yeah. right. Um, and your patients aren't able to benefit from that. So it's an echo chamber. I think that's challenging. You know, yeah. a, you, you follow what you're interested in. I mean, it's like Twitter is a perfect yes. example. You know, look at you, you, the Twitter of someone. My Twitter is just purely MSK providers, and that's where I get all my information. Right. So that's my own echo yes. chamber, and that fits my own biases. You know, anything outside of that, you know, yeah. it doesn't sit well with me. But that's my own bias, yeah. and that's the same for anyone who's living in their world of you know whatever nonsense you know they believe then they're yeah. only going to subscribe to notions that fit with their bias. You know, people like that collective. People like to belong to a mm. team or to a club. And, you know, that's a really powerful motivation. Mm. We're designed as humans to fit into a club and not to be individuals. So as soon as you step away from that comfort zone, it does feel uncomfortable. And that would be for all of us doing that. If it, it feels weird, mm. it's, we don't like being alone. So people fit the narrative that fits their biases or they, they, they seek out the narrative that fits their biases, oh. however moronic or stupid that might be. And so you, true. you put it really well, Rebecca, you know, this comes down to negligence at the end of the day. When we magnify this, not doing an appropriate CPD or not updating yourself in the most current research, when it comes down to it, is a negligence. You are not providing the best quality of care that you should be. Now, there's a lot out there that will argue the opposite of that fact. But as a young employer, um, mm-hmm. we often talk to, uh, to chiropractors coming fresh out of, of university or who have been out for a couple of years. And my worry used to be, I used to try and play down how sort of young and fresh out of university we were um, Mm -hmm. to try and make it seem as if we've been around for a bit longer. But actually the more feedback we got from um, new grads and from younger chiropractors, uh, fully fledged chiros as well was, thank goodness you guys are actually up to date. Like I have, you know, 
yes, that person's been in um, business for 30 years, but I don't think they've changed what they do for mm-hmm. 30 years. So actually, yeah, they've got a few old school tricks, but that's just what they mm-hmm. are, old school tricks. They're not right. current um, uh, and appropriate treatments or treatment styles. So actually, uh, I've, I've been pushing it the last couple of years. I say, hey, look how young and hip we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would obviously disqualifies me from being young. Um, but I now push that as one of our leading factors, one of our sales points. Hey, look, we're out of university this long. Damn, do we keep on top of our um, CPD and on top of our latest research mm-hmm. to make sure that we're providing the 100% top care that we can. I'm not setting my ways yet. I'm not just doing the same old back burner adjustments that I could be doing if I fancied it. We're still growing. Um, and we push really hard on that. Yeah. I love it. We actually, our last episode that just came out was about being a young provider and the pros and cons to that and kind of what's associated with Mm -hmm. it. And that's one of the things, you know, when you're fresh out, you are blessed that you, for the most part, have access to all the current lit, the current information. Um, And that's one of the cons of being in practice a little bit, you know, longer, you have to kind of fight and take the initiative to be better. Um, But that's important. You know, that's why we all need to work together. You know, just because you're 60 years old in practice doesn't make you any better than somebody who's 30 in practice. The question is, okay, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How can we work together and make sure patients actually, you know, benefit from what we're trying to do from them? It's huge. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So if a patient came to you guys and the first thing out of their mouth was, you know, I just went to my GP and he told me I need to be in a back brace right now for my pain. And it's clearly not that kind of situation. What do you think over your years, what has been the best way to approach that without coming off as hostile or um, egotistical in any way? You know, what strategies have you used that might benefit our listeners? So I think from from experience, dealing with advice from, from GPs is always seen as superior to advice often when it from another MSK practitioner. So, the, you know, patients, especially in the UK, in the UK, the GP is kind of like the gospel medical kind of advice line. So anything the GP says is often kind of golden. So challenging that narrative is, is difficult. I think the fastest, mm-hmm. the fastest way to, you know, lose a patient is the wrong term, but, you know, you know, not get on well with the patient is to challenge that belief straight away and kind of, you know, straight come out and say that that's wrong. That's not what you should be doing. That person was wrong, you know, because they've obviously taken that advice on board. They've listened to it. They've understood it. They've acted on it. And some way this other mm-hmm. person's coming along saying, oh, no, that's a load of nonsense. So my approach typically, and this goes for with all of those, whatever their belief is, whether that's, you know, their hips are out of place, whether they need to wear a back brace, whether they're fragile, is kind of starting to question those beliefs. Okay, why do you think that? You know, what happens if you take it off? What happens if you move? Okay, so you're scared of bending from your back. What happens if you do bend from your back? Does it hurt? What happens if you do it a few more times? And it's depending on their beliefs, it's it's not about trying to change their mind in, in one day. And if you go into a discussion like that, planning to change a person's mind then they can tell and straight away you're going to kind mm-hmm. of butt heads whereas i think if you just kind of try to understand where they're coming from rather than trying to change mm-hmm. their mind you can then start to see the chinks in the armor and you can then start to get these little light bulb moments when they go oh actually it doesn't hurt when i when i sit down slumped or actually slumping is the same as bending forward or when i bend forward to put my socks on I'm bending my back. That's the same as bending over to pick up that plant pot, you know, and that doesn't actually mm-hmm. hurt all the time. Sometimes it does hurt, but it doesn't hurt right now. And it's getting that little realization that, you know, they're not going to, you know, crumble when, when something happens. Um, 
and that's a big you know a, a big challenge as a practitioner that we have and you know i'm sure you know, mm. we've all had that whether that's a belief that your spine's going out of place or that you need to be adjusted every week whatever it might be all these beliefs that we're trying to challenge is also remiss of us to just brush it off and say yeah no it's a load of nonsense it would be completely idiotic of us really to do that in in a lot of these cases really see my, my favorite saying off for this <clears throat> is no one comes out clean in a mud fight so i think <laughs> even if it's another chiropractor you know down the road and they're a clinic that's well known to you you might think that they're terrible at practice and um and you've got the right answer i'm not going to sit there and slag them off um if they were the that person who was booked in once a week i'd say hey well look what a great opportunity for me to try and beat that schedule and get you actually better without needing that um for that gp who said they're going to need a back brace well, what a wonderful idea. Um, the GP has, has done me a favor here. And actually that's the worst case scenario they've given you. Whew, I'm glad that they told you that, not me. Here's me <laughs> coming along with the good news though. I reckon we can do better than that. I think we've got more in you. I think we can rehab, we can move, we can adjust, we can rock on and get you not having to worry, leaving that back brace in the rear view mirror. Um, I think if we start to attack or degrade another opinion like rob said because they've taken that on board and they've accepted that you're telling someone they're wrong and if there's one thing humans don't like it's being told you're wrong you can gradually change that bias over time um but like rob said again if you try and do that straight off a i think they don't trust you long term because it seems like you're on the attack and they won't understand mm -hmm. the difference between attacking the other Cairo GP, Osteo, whatever it is, and attacking them, because at that stage, it's the same. Mm -hmm. I think we've got to give the other practitioner the ultimate benefit of the doubt, because that's all, not all to forget. Sometimes the practitioner says one thing, and the patient does take away a slightly different version, and then you've got Good a point. third or fourth hand version. So I always assume the absolute best. I'm angelic. I say, thank you, GP, for giving us that worst example. Here's what I'm going to tell you to add on to that, though. Because if I say your GP is a moron, by the way, that's absolutely not what's going to happen. Um, I've just lost their faith because I'm just yeah. bad-mouthing another professional. I don't think it looks good on anyone. Yeah, and it, I mean, I like that. The prime example of that is we had a, a, a Cairo near us who uh, retired, you know, and he had patients. He, he I think he retired 80, he was 80 odd years old or something. And, and he'd been working for 60 years. And he's got some of these patients he's seen for 60 years. And so I've got patients coming to see me who's saying, yeah, I saw this chap up the road. My hips will go out every, every six months. He'd put them back in and I'm all good to go. And if I sit there and go, yeah, but it doesn't really, do, it doesn't really work like that. I've just completely invalidated 30 <laughs> years of their pain experience. So, you know, right. and it's kind of the approach which you take, although it might not be the approach which I would take if someone came to see me for the first time of lower back pain, mm -hmm. it was kind of a meeting them somewhere of where they're at. And you might do a little of what they want to kind of get them on side. And then whilst you're doing that, you know, for example, you might think, okay, this person doesn't need a lot of manual therapy. They're quite fragile. They're, they're better with some exercise based approach. You know, that would be a good example where actually they really want some manual therapy. Okay, give them a, a bit of what they want, get them on board. Whilst you're doing that, use that time to start the discussion. Okay, brilliant. Why don't we have another chat next week? And then you can kind of then start to open the door, get them to realize it and get those little light bulb kind of, you know, you know, little patient experiments, you know, where they've kind of, they've done that ticking over. They've realized it themselves. And then that's a better way to do it, I think. I love There's your one. answers because they're relational. You know, our podcast is all about relationships and how you can meet your patients where they are, meet other providers where they are. And you guys clearly have figured that out to a T. And I think that's such an important reminder, you know, don't be combative. Even if you're the best 
PT, best surgeon, best Cairo in the world, whatever you are, you know, if you can, you know, leave, like put down the knives, put down the weapons and just meet that patient where they're at, you're going to get better results with them regardless. Um, and you're probably going to have better interprofessional relationships too. God, imagine that if everyone got on. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy idea. Off. Imagine how good the world would be, yeah. <laughs> Plus, look, uh, now, don't quote me on this. There's there's something along the lines of it's something like survivor bias or um, uh, something similar. Um, everyone get on Twitter and tell me how wrong I am. Tell Rob. Um, but it, when um, when cult uh, gatherings occur and they say the world's going to end and the UFO is going to come down, and they all get there in their robes and I don't know, get the bits out or whatever they do. Now, when the UFO doesn't come down, they don't all leave and say, oh, we were wrong. The human mind is structured. We don't want to be wrong. So they believe even stronger that they were, um, that they were right, but actually no, it's in two months time. And when they say, oh no, uh, Zod is gonna come out from, um, uh, come from the moon and visit us, but it's in two months time, they believe yeah. even more. That's what's gonna happen when you badmouth their previous therapists, especially if they've seen them for a long time. Does that yeah. person wanna look inwards and go, I've been a mug for the last, or I've been made a mug of rather for the last yeah. two years? No, because that would be a negative on their behalf. Instead, they will believe, no, you're wrong, the other person's right. I reckon they'll be back through the other door and if it's a GP or a surgeon, they'll be telling them, well, that Cairo said that you were a dick. And that's the reason why surgeons don't like us. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's such a good analogy too. I mean, you're so spot on. I think I'm, I've already come up with a couple ideas in my head of ways I can kind of tweak what I'm saying. But I think if you can keep the patient positive and introduce more positivity, like I think Rob, you were the one that said this, you know, instead of mentioning the negative misguided information, maybe present them, Hey, you know, I think you can do this exercise, or I think if we do X, Y, Z for the next week, you'd be surprised at what you can handle the following week. You know, that's giving them little, you know, you're dangling a carrot in front of them. Like, I think, you, I think you got this. I think yeah. you can do more with it. It's adding in the good um, stuff. So thank you guys. Yeah. Exactly. Which this is so off topic, but it makes me think of some new research that came out within the last couple of years in the world of nutrition. I was thinking exactly the same thing at, when you said that. <laughs> that really? was my example. I was going to use that as an example. <laughs> okay. Now the question is, are we really talking about the same study? But yeah. they were talking, I'm, I'm hoping it's the same, but it was the study where they were looking at all of these crazy diets and looking at what was the most effective. And they actually found out that it was better to introduce good foods, introduce healthier options in addition to what you know the junk you're already eating and the benefits were still present yeah. as opposed to going crazy and eliminating everything and then only doing a certain fad diet is that the same That's study exactly we're talking what i was going to say yeah i use the same example of nutrition so and funny. i say add in the good stuff rather than take away the bad stuff you know so yes. have, have your burger just put some avocado on it and then have a banana afterwards yes. you know add in the good stuff and eventually you'll go oh the avocado is really nice actually now i really like bacon and avocado together or maybe <laughs> make, oh but what if i get rid of the bacon you know all that type of stuff and yeah add in i the good love stuff. it okay but seriously how nerdy was it that we thought of the I same know, yeah, study quite weird. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell what we do in our future i know yeah <laughs> i feel terrible well, mom was about being abducted uh, <laughs> 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 i'm on the wrong youtube channels Zod. oh uh, this has been <laughs> this is fabulous. Well, to wrap it up, guys, um, any last minute stories of patients that you have personally seen really good success stories where they came in one way and left another way because of the approach you guys took? I've got one about a about a lady who was and this is we use this kind of we use this as an example as kind of a, an extreme reaction that people have had to patients and then about 
six months ago, I had a lady who actually came in and said to me that, and this wasn't from a chiropractor or this is actually from a GP who she'd had an episode of lower back pain after she was pregnant. And the GP said to her after she was pregnant, she still had some back pain because you, your back pain is, um, you know, it's still there after you're pregnant. It means your back is in a really bad way. And if you don't look after it, you're going to end up in a wheelchair. And so he actually said to her that, you know, her back was in such a bad way that if she wasn't careful, she's going to end up in a wheelchair. And she was 32, had just had a child, you know, oh. and this is this. And she, she saw me 10 years later. And she came in actually on the back of listening to a podcast episode that someone had shared with her. And she was thought that she'd had arthritis and that was the cause of her back pain. And she was going to be in pain for the rest of her life. And that was kind of it. And I kind of said to her, well, when do you get pain? She said, oh, a couple of times a year. And I was like, so you don't have pain all the time? And she's uh -huh. like, no. And I kind of, basically what we had this conversation around, you know, so if your joints are as bad as you think they are, you know, this crumbling spine that you can picture and it's really fragile, why isn't it sore all the time? Mm. And she couldn't really answer that question. That was kind of the first light bulb movement. And she had already listened to the podcast. So she came in kind of with a little bit of understanding around this information that she wasn't quite fragile. And my whole thing was, okay, well, I don't actually want to be seeing you all the time because I don't believe you have a long-term problem. This, isn't, this is something which will, is, can be totally well managed with some rehab and some exercise and some lifestyle advice. And she's like, okay, that's exactly what I was hoping for. And within a week, she's going to the gym, she's mm. swimming she and all this type of stuff. And it wasn't, I'm not saying that like I'm great. That was just me just, just getting rid of some bad information that she was given. And that can be life-changing. And yeah. I'm sure every practitioner has got, got stories like that. Exactly. And it's so good to see. Yeah, it's so good to hear. That is phenomenal. And that story should be on mm. the minds of everybody listening to this right now. And I can't thank you guys enough. I hope that um, our listeners will take all of these takeaways to with them in practice immediately because we have a job to do. We have a lot of patients out there that need us. So thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for having us. 